Take your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, as we continue our study entitled, Winning at Warfare. And we are studying the topic of warfare, particularly as Paul talks about how to stand in the midst of the warfare that takes place in our lives, in our communities, around us, in our world. And we're, we're studying this because I believe this truth, that as the return of Christ draws closer, and we, we spent some time at the end of last year looking into the scriptures about the return of Christ, I believe that as the return of Christ draws nearer each day, the warfare between light and dark, between heaven and earth, between heaven and hell intensifies because the most climactic, most transformational, most powerful moments other than the cross and the resurrection of Christ will be the return of Christ. Because at that point, everything on the face of the earth and everything in the heavens shift to what we call the the end times, the, the times when all of God's plan finally comes into fulfillment. Genesis 3 becomes reality in Revelation 22. And so I believe the warfare intensifies. Now, I don't just pull that out of the air and say, hey, believe me because I believe this. Here's what Jesus said. He said, look, it's going to, things are going to increase. Like a woman having labor pains, things are going to increase as the day of my return draws near. And they're going to, like those labor pains intensify, getting closer to delivery. Before the deliverance of God's final ultimate plan of redemption, the coming of Christ the second time happens, things are going to intensify. He said wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilence, all that, all that stuff's just going to intensify. Then when you get into the seven years of tribulation, Lord have mercy. We're studying spiritual warfare now. So we don't have to battle it after Jesus comes back. We stand now so we can stand with him when he returns. Amen? So we're particularly focusing on, I mean, we could get into all kinds of stuff. We could get into demons and angels. And I don't know, we may ultimately kind of come into some of that. but, But we're staying with Ephesians 6 foremost right now because that is where Paul tells us, here's how you will stand in the midst of the warfare that's happening. So I have in my notes here, from the beginning of man's existence on the earth, Satan has sought to rule and to ruin mankind. But at the same time, God has sought to rule and redeem and to raise up mankind. And so now we find ourselves in the battle, in the middle between God's activity and Satan's activity. And you see, Satan wants to strike at you and I, uh, humankind, because humankind has been made in the image of God, intentionally and initially. And because Satan hates God, because God would not allow him to be above him in heaven, and so God kicked him out of heaven, because he hates God, then his best way to strike out, he can't strike out at God, but he can strike out at God's creation. And that's what he did in the beginning That's what he still does today. But the reality is God still has a plan. He still has a plan for his people, his creation to live with them. Peter says it this way, God desires that none should perish, but that all should come to salvation in Christ. 
God wants that and he provides that for all who will believe. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. But Satan wants to to steal that. So all of humankind is the target of Satan. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you were born again, the very spirit of the living God came to live inside of you. You just became the prime target. Now you say, Pastor, I I came to follow Jesus because he's King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace, and I just thought this was going to be a walk through a field of lilies. Well, while you're walking the field of lilies, be alert. Be aware. Watch for the tactics of the enemy. And armor yourself. Make yourself ready to have to stand. So that's what we're looking into these next few weeks. And today we actually move into the beginning of the the parts of the armor. So we're going to look at Ephesians 6. Paul is an expert at spiritual warfare. Paul has been teaching through the book of Ephesians, writing this letter to the Christians in the city of Ephesus, talking about Christ and the power of Christ, the glory of Christ, the authority of Christ, Christ working in them as believers of his. And now he's going to tell them this, beginning in verse number 10, Ephesians 6. He says, finally, now he's saying, now that you know all of this about Jesus and Jesus in you, stand. Stand strong. Don't let Satan steal any of this that Jesus has done for you from you. So he says, finally, be strong where? In the Lord. We saw last week. It's not our strength. It's the strength of Jesus in which we stand. And in his mighty power, his dunamis, his explosive power and authority. Stand strong. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We recognize and understand Satan has various tactics that he uses. We talked about those in week one. Deception, destruction, discouragement, divisiveness, He's the author of confusion. He's the father of lies. He's the prince of the air. And, and he has tactics. He, he knows how to manipulate mankind. He knows how to manipulate each of us. So Paul then goes on in verse 12 and he says, But our struggle or our wrestling is not against flesh and blood. It's not against, as I said, it's not against politicians. It's not against policies. It's not against lessons. Our struggle, our wrestling is against the principalities and powers that rule in places of authority in the heavens and then displayed on the earth. Watch what he says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Satan is very organized in his kingdom. And he's a statistician, he, or a tactician, or whatever. He's very tactical. How about that? Golly, I got myself in a situation there where I was speaking like I didn't know what I was talking about. I do know what I'm talking about. I just don't know the right word. But he's, he's very specific, and he's got an organized uh, administration of the powers of 
darkness that he orchestrates, that he leads. Paul says we got to be aware of these things. we got to be aware that things happening here in my family, they happen up there first. They happen in the heavenlies. They're happening because rulers and authorities have been given a realm of, of uh, or have been given an opportunity. They've been given a foothold into my family, and so that's why now. So we're not wrestling with this young person that refuses to get saved. We're not wrestling with, with, with this or with that. We're, we're wrestling with a power of an authority that Jesus has already defeated. And Paul says, look, your job is stand strong in what Jesus has already done. Don't let the enemy steal that healing from you. Don't let the enemy steal that salvation that he's bought for that young person. Paul's going to close all this in Ephesians 6 with this. Pray. 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 So he says, Therefore, put on, clothe yourself in the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able, watch this, to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. That one we're going to look at in a moment. Buckled around your waist. Stand with the breastplate of righteousness. And by the way, let me just say this. Make sure you understand that Paul's using imagery so we can wrap our minds around spiritual realities, things we can't see with our natural eyes. He's saying, look, I'm standing here looking at a Roman soldier chained to him right now in a prison in Rome, and the boy's got a belt wrapped around his waist that keeps his sword tucked in tight and close to him. He's got a breastplate of right. He's got a breastplate. He's got shoes, sandals. He's got, he's got a sword. He's got the, the shield. He's got a helmet. He's protected and armored and ready for battle. He says, look, Physically, I see this spiritually for you as a believer. Here's what it is. And what it is, is Jesus. Every one of these pieces of armor are Jesus. Today, we look at the belt of truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Then he says, uh, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Jesus is the righteousness of God. Uh, He goes on, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the prince of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which Jesus, we're told in Hebrews, is the author and perfecter of our faith which with you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation. No one is saved but by the name of Jesus. He is our Savior. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is our salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt for a while among us. Jesus is the embodiment of God's Word. And then he goes on and he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So when we talk about putting on the armor, we are talking about putting on Christ. And this is not the first time Paul has talked about the putting on of Christ. It's the first time he's used it as an armor but he, but he says, put on the full armor. Put on basically Christ. So watch this. In Romans chapter 13, Paul says this. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to gratify the desires of your flesh. But notice what he says. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So on a few occasions, more than just these two, Paul talks about putting on Christ. To put on means to sink into. It's like uh, uh, when, you, when you get dressed, what do you do? You, you sink into those jeans. And if you're trying to be impressive and, and, and it's not working too well, you don't necessarily sink in, but you, you squeeze in. Right, but nonetheless, you get there. We were we were at a rodeo Friday night, and the, the rodeo clown out in the arena was. I told Leisha, I said, I said I'd love to learn the Western style a little myself. And then I look at that rodeo clown, and he walked over close to where we were, and I told Leisha, I said, I could be a rodeo clown. I'm built like that guy. And so he came out one time with these old stretchy pants on, and the announcer said, Well, that looks like a ten pound ham in a five pound bag. means to sink into. It means to, to clothe yourself, to in, in, in place yourself within Christ Jesus. So we're going to talk about truth. It's not a, by accident, I believe, that Paul starts with the belt truth. He could have started. When, when I go through seasons where I'm acknowledging and, and quoting those verses and reminding myself, I have the helmet of salvation. Lord, renew my mind. I have breastplate of righteousness. Jesus, let me remember today I am righteous because you in me are righteous. I have, and I, so I start at the top and work my way to the feet and then the sword and the, fa- in the, in the, in the shield. But Paul starts with the belt of truth because reality is everything else he's going to say about the armor and about Christ is rooted in truth. And you have to believe it's truth first before you would ever believe Jesus does these things in you. So he starts with truth. I want to share three things with you this morning, three truths about truth, if you will. Number one, truth is from God. Truth is from God. There's three main thoughts in our culture concerning truth. The first one is this, truth is independent and it's fixed. It's waiting to be discovered. Another line of thought is that truth is relative. It's defined by the individual of how they see truth. And then a third idea of thought is this. Truth doesn't actually exist. It is created by each individual. Now, as believers, if you're born again, and you know you're born again because of what God's Word says, then you hold to number one. Truth is independent of anything. Truth is not relative. Truth does not change with situations or circumstances. Truth is truth. And it was truth 5,000 years ago, and it's still true today because it's truth. Let me, let me give you a uh, dictionary definition of truth. I'm going to give you a biblical definition in a moment. Truth, that which is in accordance with fact and reality. So facts are facts, right? You either had a blowout on your, in your tire on your way to church this morning, or you didn't, right? You had a blowout? Well, you can't say, well, you know, we just uh, stopped at the donut shop. No, you had a blowout. That's the facts. And reality. What is reality? So as Christians, we believe that truth is objective, it's eternal, and it is independent of what anyone else wants truth to be. You see, the other two philosophies, the other two ideologies have the idea that I can create my own truth or this is how I see it, this must be how it is. 
And neither one of those are accurate when you're talking truth. When you're talking fact and reality, there is just truth. And that truth comes from somewhere. If you're a humanist, you say it comes from me. If you're a born-again, spirit-filled Christian, follower of Christ, you say that truth comes from God. So notice Isaiah 45, verse 18. Love, love, love this. Isaiah says, for this is what the Lord says. He who created the heavens, that's why God gets to decide what's truth. He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but he formed it to be inhabited. Notice this. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. So he gets to, he gets to pick truth, right? You used to play on a playground when they had recess day. Some of us are old enough to remember recess in elementary school and kids would be out there with the kickball and they're picking teams. Well, who gets to decide who the captains are? Well, just whoever's tougher and meaner and bullies everybody else gets to be that. But you see, they get to pick whether they're going to be the captain. No, nobody gets to pick whether they get to be God and create truth. He is God. And then in verse 9 it says, I have not spoken in secret... In other words, he reveals things to us. From somewhere in a land of darkness, I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Truth comes from God. And if you dismiss, if you dismiss the first chapter of the Holy Scriptures, Genesis 1, then you're going to have to find truth somewhere else. So, because people refuse to acknowledge that there would be a God bigger than them, they decide they'll create their own truth. But you see, your truth's going to interfere with my truth. And if I make up my own, my truth's going to interfere with yours. And somehow we're never going to be able to really get along very well, are we? Because we got too many truths getting in the way. There's only one. God decided and he declares what is right. The truth doesn't change to fit culture. The truth doesn't change to fit your circumstances. Well, I used to think this. Now I think that. The only way you change is if you misrepresented or misinterpreted what God's truth was the first time. That's the only way it ever changes. But the truth was there even when you didn't see it right. And it'll be there when you have an awakening. Let me give you this two spiritual, def two biblical definitions of truth. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind, will, character, glory, and being of God. God is truth. Another one is truth is the self-expression of God. You see, scriptures tell us, that God is not a man that he should lie. He's incapable of lying. He's incapable of anything other than who his nature is. And his nature is truth. He decided from day one what truth would be, what would be fact, and what would be reality. And he's been gracious enough to reveal it to us to leave it with us so that we don't wander in the desert. We can walk a straight way through. 
truth is that which is the self-expression of God. God established it before creation. Your life to stand against the schemes of the enemy in our hour, in our generation, you must be anchored in the truth of God's word. You see, the, the deception, Satan has been a deceiver from the beginning. But as we, as I said, near the return of Christ Jesus, it's intensifying. You and I cannot turn any page in social media. We cannot turn on any channel on television. We cannot listen to anything on the radio without having to wonder, is that factual? Because so much deception has overtaken. And, and, and what does the scripture tell us about Satan? He is the prince of the air. He has a, an authority over that which is in the, in the heavenly realm there, in the spirit realm. And he manipulates truth. He is an angel of light, or he is an angel masquerading as an angel of light. And so there is so much deception, and, and Christians are falling into deception. Now, again, I'm not talking about political beliefs. Let's just push all that out right now. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking believers not knowing the truth of God for their own hearts. Christians wanting to argue politics, but they haven't even got the things of the heart in line with truth yet. Much less worrying about somebody sitting in an office Church, God has given us his truth. Jesus said, you'll know that when you hold to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. You know what truth, you know what's going to make you free? Truth you know, not truth you don't know. If God said it and you don't know God said it, you're going to go do something else until you find out God said it. We must be anchored in truth because God is true. Secondly, Truth is found in Christ. It's from God, and Christ embodied the truth of God on this earth. Let me give you some references here. John 14, 6. Jesus told them, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way and the, say it with me, truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of, watch this, grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus is the embodiment of the truth that God is. God is truth, and Jesus embodies that. When Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days to pray and fast before he began his public ministry. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to pray and fast. In that place, being led by the Spirit into that place, he's going to encounter temptation. Satan's going to come to him at a very opportune time, in a moment of fleshly uh, fatigue and weariness. And he's going to approach Jesus with three temptations... All of them are designed to be a shortcut for Jesus to take from being the son of Joseph to being the son of God. A shortcut to go from 
uh, having to go through all of the suffering on earth for three and a half years, shortcut past the crucifixion, forget about a tomb and a resurrection. If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you these kingdoms. Now, a lot of people say, well, Satan was lying because they're not his kingdoms. But there's this also thought that man was given dominion over the earth, right? In Genesis chapter 2. Man was given dominion over the earth to rule the earth. When he disobeyed God, Satan earned that authority. Prince of the air. It wouldn't have been a temptation to Jesus if Jesus thought that was a lie. What Jesus rebuked was the fact that he would take any shortcut that would dismiss the purpose and plan of God for him coming to this earth. And you know what Jesus did. Jesus goes into the wilderness full of the Spirit. He has girded himself with the belt of truth because Jesus doesn't carry on a dialogue with Satan. Satan throws his seduction at him, and Jesus all three times just says, Look, it is said. It is said. It is is said. He was girded with truth. And when he was fatigued, when he was weary, when his mind might begin to wonder, he's been 40 days without food, he had truth. And that truth sustained him. So when Paul tells you and I in our generation, stand strong, look to Jesus, my friend. Jesus stood with truth. And he withstood what the enemy brought against him. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 and 20 now tells us about Christ in us. He says, So we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, God. And we are in him who is true, we are in God, By being in his son, Jesus Christ, who is the true God and eternal life. So he says, Jesus has revealed to us God who is true. And we are in Jesus. Therefore, we are in the truth of Jesus. He clothed you with his truth when you were born again. We are in Christ, therefore we are in truth. So truth comes from God. It can't be changed by man. Truth is found in Jesus, and you are found in Christ if you are a follower on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then number three, truth must fill your mind and your heart fully. God has placed everything we need to know about truth, about right, and about wrong between the covers of what we call the Bible. The scriptures, the holy scriptures. Everything we need to know when it comes to right and wrong and making right decisions and doing the right thing and having the right character and the right attitude, it's all found within the covers of the canon of scripture. Let me, uh, in this moment, just help us remember that our, our warfare, spiritual, the battlefield is right here. The battlefield is your mind. Anytime you or I who know what sin is choose to 
participate anyway, knowing what God has said about it. What happened was there was a battle for our thoughts. And darkness and deception won that particular battle. You see, our thought processes, we, we all have a paradigm. Everybody say paradigm. Paradigm is a, is a thought process. I, I kind of see it as, uh, how many of you made coffee this morning and you used a coffee filter in your coffee pot? Or maybe, I don't know, you guys are the hipster curry crowd. I don't know. But you, you put like a, uh, uh, a coffee filter in the coffee pot. And what are you doing? You're keeping the grounds out so you just get the good stuff, right? And a paradigm is, is like the filter of your mind. And your, your paradigm filters all of your thoughts. The way something happens, you see an accident, you see uh, an incident, you see something, you hear something, it enters your thought processes, and based on your paradigm is how you filter it. That's why when we have those three ideas of what truth is, two of those can be so far from what is reality, is because people operate with a selfish, humanistic, I am my God, paradigm. So when someone says something, does something, they see something or they hear something, they filter it through their paradigm and that's how they respond. What happened when you got saved? There was a paradigm shift. You used to think Jesus was a nice flannel graph story on a flannel graph board in Sunday school like I did. And then there was this paradigm shift that my life stinks. My life's about to, to be destroyed. It's been destroyed. And I think Jesus is going to be the only hope I have. And I called out to Jesus. But a paradigm shift happened. Suddenly, things that were important to me the next few weeks began to just die off around me because I wasn't thinking about them as much anymore. They didn't have an appeal to me. So the battlefield is right here. It's your thoughts. So Paul says in Romans, and I don't have the slide for it for you this morning. I'm sorry, in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. But he talks about we, uh, we have weapons that are not of this world. We have spiritual weapons. And we demolish strongholds and every argument or pretentious thought that exalts itself against the true knowledge of Jesus. In other words, you've got the opportunity to have thoughts that are of darkness and of deception and of, of selfishness and of pride and of sin, or you've got the opportunity for thoughts that are true to the truth of Christ. And the battle is choosing which one is going to be your filter. That word where Paul says demolish arguments in every high thought. The word arguments right there means reasoning, imagination, or conscience. Every bit of reasoning that is opposed to the truth and knowledge of Jesus needs to be cast down. That stronghold needs to be broken. Every imagination that exalts itself against Christ's truth must be cast down. So I say that to tell you there are two paradigms that everybody operates under. Somebody's, everybody's going to have one of these two filters. You're either going to have a biblical worldview. Your paradigm is established by the truth that you find from God's word. 
Therefore, you're going to view everything from God's word. Somebody's going to be throwing out some vain, empty ideology and Spirit of God, who is the Spirit of truth, who's come to lead us into all truth, is going to quicken to you and you're going to realize, wait, that, that doesn't line up with, with God's word. What they're talking about, what they're doing, what they're, what they're wanting me to believe, those thoughts, Satan, those thoughts don't line up with God's word. I cast those down. And then there's a second paradigm called a secular worldview. And the secular worldview is basically that self-centered, humanistic worldview. And we all know, you've heard me define sin for you before. Sin is self-rule. What is humanism? I rule my life, you rule yours, so our paths should meet. Let's try to get along. Let's drink a Coca-Cola together and hum. It's a self-centered, selfish worldview. So in other words, at that moment, your paradigm is you view everything about how it affects you. You view it as how you want it. You view it from your comfort zone, from what you're okay with. Well, I'm okay with that. Well, is God? Where's your filter? What filter are you operating under, a biblical worldview or a secular worldview? Born-again believer, you don't have any choice. If you're truly born again, your truth is found in the biblical worldview. And your, your life 24-7, seven days a week, is rooted through a biblical worldview. When you hear news, when you follow social media, when you respond on social media, it's from a biblical worldview. What does God say? What does God do? What does God think? That is changing my paradigm. So to stand against the deception and darkness of Satan, we have to stand in truth. We have to stand with God's word. We have to have the truth of God. So let me give you real quickly in closing here four, four ways God's word shapes your life. If you'll let it get down into your heart and your mind. Remember Paul said this. Do not conform to the world. In other words, don't, don't let your paradigm become swayed by the, by the world. Be transformed. How? Renewing your mind. Change the filter of which you respond in life. So, four things real quickly. Truth of God shapes your conscience. Why should you read God's word daily and meditate on it and get it down in you? Because it shapes your conscience. You see, we all have an element of what is right and wrong. Because we're made in the image of God, and God just told us in Isaiah 45, I'm the one who determines what is true and what is, what is reality. Proverbs 14, 12 should be a warning to all of us in all the book of wisdom. It says here, there is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end, it is the way to death. Some translations say it leads to destruction. And there could be, if I asked the question, how many of you walked that path at one point in time, there would be a whole lot of amens and mm-hmm's because we walked our own way, because we thought we knew better than God. And we found ourselves walking a death walk. 
walking into destruction. So God's word shapes my conscience, my ability to know what is right or wrong. I've told you the story of the individual, him and his girlfriend living together, and, and they wanted me to marry him. And I said, look, we got we to gotta work something out first here because you're wanting the blessing of God, but you've totally disobeyed God. And, and, and we talked, and they repented in tears. And he, he came to me after, and he said, you know, Pastor, he said, I've, I've always known that that wasn't right. But then he was, with a quiver in his voice, he said, but what scares me is it stopped bothering me. And I, we talked, and I said, you know why I stopped bothering you? It's because you, you just quit listening. <laughs> and after a while, the Holy Spirit got tired of dealing with you on it and just said, okay. You know, the Word of God says, will God always strive with man? Does there come a point where God just says, if that's what you want, Romans 1 says, he turned them over to the depravity of their mind. God tells us, what is right and what is wrong. We don't get to pick that. We don't choose what we want to be right or wrong. We align ourselves with what is right or wrong, and then we walk prosperous. We don't walk in destruction. When we lack the willingness to do what is right and we reject it, we accept what is wrong, we're disobeying God, and there's no, there's no blessing or favor of God in that. The Bible purifies our conscience. In fact, the scriptures even tell us it is God who works in you to will, to choose, to do what God wants you to do. God's trying to help us do what we should be doing. Second truth is this. God's truth shapes your convictions, not only your conscience, what is right or wrong and what you believe is right or wrong, but it shapes your convictions, those things you hold to, those values that you build your life on. In Deuteronomy 5, 29, God says, oh that, that, oh, that they had such a heart as this always. And what is this heart? To fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. That they would obey me. That they would believe me. Convictions. Convictions are those things that you hold to. Convictions that are the values on which you stand. Your conviction, your values are found from the scriptures. You don't make your own convictions. Now, I will say this. There are some things you find in scripture that you say, you know what? That's a core value for me. Someone else, that's their conviction, but, it, but it's not a core value. Let's just, let's just throw an example. You, your conviction is how you dress when you go to church. That's a, that's a conviction. There's, that, that's a personal conviction. Because for you, that's an honoring to God. Someone else, it's not that they don't care, but they just, they're, they're just not convinced that, that God's overly worried about what they're wearing as much as that they're seeking Him and, and, and after Him. But there are convictions that are unchanging. Remember Paul talked about those of you who eat meat offered to idols and some of you refuse. You have a conviction about eating meat. He said, look, there's no clear cut black or white on this issue. You guys learn how to live among each other and respect each other. 
but you see your convictions that are going to cause you to stand in the face of the enemy's lies and his deception are going to come from God's word. You need to be convinced. That word conviction comes as the idea of being convinced, so convinced of something, I will make this part of my life. I am convinced of who God is. I have a conviction that God is from the beginning and is eternal. And so my paradigm, my worldview is that God is God and he rules and reigns over everything. And I'm just privileged that he breathed life into my lungs and so I owe him everything back. I have a conviction that sin is death, that sin is destructive, that sin is an abomination to the holy God. I have a conviction that he offers me forgiveness and salvation, and I live in that. Some might say, Pastor, you, you believe that God forgives all of your sin. Well, you're just as much a sinner as the rest of us are. You're absolutely right. But I found here the offer of forgiveness and the way to receive that forgiveness, and I am convinced and convicted that I have been born again and am redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And if I keep that paradigm from his word as my filter, then when the enemy tries to convince me I'm unworthy, when the enemy tries to convince me that God shouldn't have saved me, that there was no re- that you know what I'm saying, you've been there, I can stand. I can stand in that battle, convinced that I am forgiven. I'm convinced of eternity. I am convinced Jesus is coming again. And I am convicted that one day we will all stand before God. The Lamb's book of life opened and those whose names are not found in it will be cast into an eternity in hell. Those whose name is found in the book of life are given eternal life to live in the prosperity and the fullness and the glory and the power and the privilege of heaven and the presence of God forever. So I try to live that way. I try to let that be the conviction that I live by. Well, Pastor, why don't you just let your hair down a little bit? Just come on. Come on out and have a little fun. Can Pastor come out and play? Well, I'm focused on eternity. I'm convinced I want to be in heaven. I'm convinced and convicted about what God says about family and marriage, about my employment, about my life, what I find from God's word, I'm convinced. Now, am I, am I following every, every jot and every tittle of his word and, and obeying it 110%? No. I don't. I'm striving to do that. And when I fall short, I'm trusting to hear the Spirit's conviction and to respond immediately in repentance. Why? Because I'm convinced that if I let it stay too long, it will begin to change my paradigm and that I am convinced Jesus offers forgiveness. Thirdly, the truth of God's Word shapes your confidence shapes your confidence. So often Christians are defeated in the battles of the mind because we, we start to believe them, that we're not worthy and that we're incapable of this and that and that God doesn't care about us and God doesn't heal today and God doesn't use spiritual gifts today and this and that and the other. And, 
and we lose confidence. But Romans 15, 4 says, For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope. What is written has been given to us that we might have hope. The confidence of God's working and activity in us. And then lastly, truth of God's word shapes my conduct. My friend, if God's word is just print on a page, it's of no value. It's of no value. It is only when we take the word of God and fill our hearts and our minds with it. When we let it become our paradigm that we operate with. Second Timothy, Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. That means it's inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Teaching, correcting, rebuking. So it's, it's, it's just not always going to be, you know, pastor build me up, pastor make me feel good leaving church today so I get a good start to the week. Oh, the Holy Spirit will do that. But sometimes the word corrects us for our good, right? Don't you correct your children for their well-being? Sometimes it just flat out rebukes us. Wake up. Sometimes it teaches us what we need to know. Sometimes it's training us to stand, to stand in righteousness. So God's word shapes your your conduct. Two applications for you this morning. First one is this. If you're going to stand against the tactics of the enemy, if you're going to stand against the, the, the deep darkness that is settling over uh, our world, the, the deception and the lies that are intensifying and becoming even more real, if you're going to stand against it, you're going to have to gird yourself with the belt of truth, the truth of God. You will not withstand without the truth of God's word. And people will try to convince you God's word is not the truth. We create our own truth. Don't believe the lies. Find out what God's word says and stand on it. Hold true. So Paul used this word. He said, buckle the belt of truth. Some some, uh, translations use the word gird. Tighten it. Tighten it. You put on a belt this morning, you sensed it up, right? You don't want to be sagging. You don't want to be sagging in God's Word. You don't want to be dragging God's Word behind you, hoping it'll do something for you. You want to be sensed up. You want it girded. In other words, what it means is hold it tight to you. Do not let it fall to the ground. Gird yourself with it. Get into God's word. Read it. Make it a practice. There is no reason in this generation that you cannot put your heart and mind around God's word on a daily basis. I've got my morning so full now shooting a video devotion and, and, and writing these prayer things for the 21 days and all that, that uh, I've had to take my, my day. I started the year on a daily Bible plan. I'm behind on it. 
But the only way I can stay close to it now is I gotta I gotta use the the reading app on the YouTube or on the U version Bible, use the reading part, the 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 voice audio part. So while I'm on the treadmill or while I'm driving, I'm at least hearing it. There's no reason we don't have some means or way. We've got every tool available to us. But then the second one is this: you got to get rid of deceptive practices. The word truth literally means this. It means to unhide or to hide nothing. True means unhide. You know what a lie is? A lie is hiding what was the truth. Truth is to uncover, to unhide. So the second application is if I'm living in any sort of deceptive, manipulative attitude in my life toward others, I, I got to repent of that. I got to repent of that. Because that's not the spirit of Christ. Christ doesn't, his spirit doesn't inspire us to deceive and to lie. That comes from the father of lies. So that calls for repentance. 